Well, I hope you've enjoyed. The, have you enjoyed the table series that we've done? It's been it's been a lot of fun. We're finishing it up next week. We got one more week in this series, and, and we've saved the best for last. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you always say that, but so far I've been right. So we saved the best for last. And then after that, we're going to start a brand new series where we're going to replace this table with a poker table. It's going to be awesome. How many of y'all have ever played poker? Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Strip poker. Oh, whoa. Like, hey, no, no, no. I mean, I, I had a friend that did one time. Adderall is wearing off, y'all. I don't... Oh, yeah. So, anyway, we are coming up on the end of winter. Now, technically, on the calendar, it's not the end of winter, but here in the South, we get like two weeks of winter. And and when I say winter, it's like below 30, and Southerners, we freak out. Um, but But spring is coming, and with spring, brings out a little bit of weirdness. In fact, if you have recently moved to the South, and you want to see who the weird people are in your neighborhood, have a yard sale. <laughs> now, I'm not going to ask yard people sale to people to raise your hand because I'm about to make fun of you. And so I don't want you to feel shamed or called out. You can just feel shame and silence because yard sale people are weird people. <laughs> amen? Okay, yeah, I got some half-hearted amens there. No, seriously, it, just, just try this sometime. Advertise you're having a yard sale at 8 a.m. at 6 a.m. Yard sale, because if you don't say no early birds, they'll, they'll stand in your driveway at 6 a.m. And if they see movement in your house, because they're, they're out there looking, they see movement in your house, they come up and knock on the door at 7, and you open the door, yeah, can I help you? I'm here, I'm here, I'm here for the yard sale. Uh, don't, it don't, they don't start for like another hour. And they go, okay. What are you doing? I'm, I was just seeing if you got some stuff in there. No, is, is the door, is, how much you want for the door? I'm not selling the door. Just go back out. And then it doesn't matter what you bring out in the yard sale and what you price it for, they're not going to pay that price. They, 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 you know, they'll argue. It's like, it's like, oh, it's a blender, huh? How much you want for it? A, a, a dollar? Mm. It's a sunbeam, and uh, Kyle was hoping for a GE. I just I think we're too far apart to do business right now. I, and it's like, oh, my God, it's a dollar. But there are people that I know what you're doing. You're arguing with me in your mind because you watched a show called That Flip Life or whatever, and somebody went to a yard sale, and they bought something, they sold it. Okay, let me help you. That's not going to be you. This is Anderson, okay? That's not happening here. But th th that there are some, some instances where that does happen. I will acknowledge. In fact, doing a little research for this message, I found the, in 2007, a couple went to a yard sale in New York, bought a bowl for $3. It was probably priced at 5 They talked them down to 3 and they And they went home and they put it on their shelf because that's what you do. You buy other people's junk. You bring it home, you put it on your shelf, and then you sell it at a yard sale for cheaper than you bought it. And so this bowl's sitting there, and they thought it looked unique. So they're like, let's take it to an antique dealer and have it appraised or whatever. Took it to an antique dealer, 
it was appraised and it was discovered that it actually belonged to a dynasty that existed in China 2,000 years ago, and the bowl sold at auction for $2.2 million. Now, once again, that's not going to be you, all right? But, but that's fascinating. And the reason I bring that up is because spiritually, spiritually, I know most of us in the room and watching online or listening to the podcast or what, however you're consuming this message, most of us don't feel, when it comes to spirituality, like we're very valuable. We don't feel like we could be put on display at like Nordstrom. We feel like we belong more in a spiritual yard sale. We feel like because of what we've done or because of what has been done to us or maybe a combination of both that we're worthless and, and there is no way because of where we are that God could take, in, God, God, number one, God doesn't want anything to do with us. Number two, if he did, it ain't good. So our tendency is to kind of run or turn our back from God. But what I want everybody to understand is even if you see yourself as useless, God sees you as priceless. You see yourself as that $3 bowl. God sees you as that $2.2 million bowl. And how dare us call ourselves invaluable when Jesus gave his blood to pay for our sins. You are worth more to God than you could ever imagine and and and, and I know what I know what the pushback is because this is my pushback sometimes but I'm not where I need to be you ever said that to somebody I'm not where I need to be I'm not where I need to be I, I, oh you look great you lose I'm not where I need to be you look great I'm not where I need to be there's a lot of people that feel like you're not where you need to be spiritually I know exactly what that's like and some of you're like I know a couple years ago you really struggled no not like this week like this week, this week. So, so if, you, if you don't get anything out of the message, get this, that my hope and my prayer is by the time you walk out today that you would be able to say to God, I know your love is too good to leave me here. God, I know, I know that I'm here. First of all, you, we got to acknowledge that we're here. We got to acknowledge that wherever here is, like if here is broke down and busted, if here is I can't shake this, if here is, I feel overwhelmed. If here is, I'm wrestling with anxiety. If here is, I have walked away from Jesus and I'm doing things I wish I didn't do. We got to acknowledge where here is and then we got to understand God really does love us there, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He wants to take us somewhere that would absolutely blow our minds if we could conceive what he wants to do in our lives. So, so with that in mind, with that in mind, I want to go to a story that I talked about quite a few times. And uh, it's, you know, and a lot of people, sometimes I'll use the same Bible story, and, and I've had people come up going, you're using the same Bible stories. Kind of limited. <laughs> David always beats Goliath, all right? Every time, every time right, every time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire every time. Every time. So I got, you just got to give me some grace and some space, all right? So I know I talk about this a lot, but I want to talk about it in a way that's a little different than I normally talk about it. Luke, the gospel writer, says this. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, for years I've just read over this and just kind of kept going. And it's not like a, no, nobody has this verse on their t-shirt. Nobody has this verse on a coffee cup. This verse is fascinating. Let me tell you why. 
Most of us probably have some place in the world that we really want to visit one day. Uh, like uh, London or Paris or Italy. I, I want to go to Italy one day. Um, we have all sorts of places. And for years and years and years, Israel was a bucket list trip for me. Now, I've been 16 times, so I, I, I love it over there. It's great. And, I'm go- and, and for those of you that are, going, uh, are thinking about going in October, we're going to go to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a major tourist attraction in Israel. We're going we're gonna to eat dinner overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We're going to go on a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to grab the mic on the boat and go, I'm on a boat and I, I mean, I'm going to... Oh, y'all know that song. Dirty-minded people. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't know about it. Philip told me. Um, oh, Wow. So we look at the Sea of Galilee, and we see it as a, as a tourist attraction. If you go to Israel today, you're going to want to go to the Sea of Galilee. But understand, 2,000 years ago, it wasn't a tourist attraction. It was an obscure lake. By the way, it's a, it's a lake. It's not really a sea. It's not salty. It's fresh water. It's a lake in a country that was, at the time, insignificant. The people in that country felt forgotten. They felt abandoned. They felt alone because Israel had actually been conquered by Rome. And Rome, Italy, Rome was where everything was happening. Rome was where the important people were. Jerusalem were where the spiritually elite people were. So you would think if Jesus went somewhere, he would go to where the influence was or the spiritually elite people were. But Galilee is tucked up in northern Israel. It's a forgotten place filled with forgotten, abandoned, and alone people who felt stuck when it came to life and who felt stuck spiritually. And what I find fascinating is that's the exact place that Jesus went to. So if you feel stuck, if you feel alone, if you feel abandoned, if you feel forgotten, you need to stop thinking, I need to go after God. You need to just look around because Jesus is coming after you. And he's not coming after you to get you back. He's coming after you to bring you back into fellowship with him because that's who he is. And that's what he does. So he goes to, he goes to Galilee and, and Peter, that's like, like, there's apostles that we connect with. The most, the most quoted common apostle or talked about apostle that we talk about is who? Somebody said Paul, somebody said Peter, Paul, Peter, Perry, you know, whatever. So I just, I'm, I'm not an apostle. I, I, I would call myself Bishop. Bishop P.B. Noble. I, I like that. Y'all like that? Let's roll with it. All right. I don't care what they say. All right. All right. <laughs> So, so we identify with Peter a lot. And the reason we identify with Peter a lot is because um, Peter screws up a lot. And, and so, the, like, that's my boy. And, and, and so, so Peter had been fishing all night, and he's cleaning his nets and, you know, getting all the beer cans and everything out of it, and he's going to kind of fold them up and go because he worked third shift. But Jesus says, Peter, let me, let me use your boat to teach from. And Peter's like, well, I ain't got nothing else to do, so he lets Jesus teach from the boat. And then this happens. Now, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, I want to pause. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we'll read stuff like that and go, oh, of course, because that this is Jesus is the son of God. 
But Peter hadn't read the book of Luke yet. <laughs> Peter didn't know. Like, we read the Bible knowing the end of the story, but this is ridiculous. Because Peter in his mind is thinking, I got some problems with this, Jesus. First of all, you're a carpenter, and what do carpenters know about fishing? Number two, you don't fish during the day, you fish at night. Number three, you don't fish in deep water, you fish in shallow water. So Jesus, everything you're asking me to do right now, it doesn't make sense. Has, has, have you ever felt like God has asked you to do something that did not make sense? I mean, I, for me, like starting this ministry, I was like, I, you got the wrong guy, God. Have you Googled my name? Thank you very much. I mean, <laughs> I literally had to write down one day, God is greater than Google. I had to write that down to get that in my mind, all right? So, so, so Jesus tells him to do this. Now, here's what we're told. Here's what we're told. If you love Jesus, people that love Jesus, you're going to obey him immediately. Uh, I don't know. I, has, has God ever asked you to do something and you were like, uh, I, mm, I'm, I'm going to need a sign. <laughs> I have. Like you're driving down the road, all right, God, if you want me to do that, make this light turn green. Oh, <laughs> make the next one turn green. We're going we're gonna to run Clemson Boulevard, baby. Let's go. I mean, <laughs> I, I, God, I need to see a Smurf. If you can, I, I, I can see a Smurf. So, so I want you to watch what Peter does here because it's really interesting. Master, Simon replied. Now, when we see that word master, master didn't have the same connotation 2,000 years ago that it does today. Master's more like mister. Master is a sign of respect. It's like, oh, okay, master. Master carpenter, master teacher, master anything but fisherman. Master, we worked hard. We, you notice that? We, not you, we, we. While you were counting sheep, creating sheep, like, like we, were, we were working last night while you slept. We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Like, because sometimes we got to tell Jesus how bad our life is. You ever done that? I'm not blaming you, I do it too. Jesus is this and this and this. He's like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Master, we worked hard all night last night and didn't get, get anything. But if you say so, have you ever been told that when you do something for Jesus, you got to do it like just a completely surrendered heart? It's not true. Sometimes I've been like, all right, all right, I'm going to do it. Yeah, yeah, right. You asked for it, but well, I don't know. <laughs> you got kids? How many of y'all got kids? How many of y'all got kids? Yeah, you've done this, right? Hey, take that trash out. Why should I take the trash out? Because I, that's right. And did your kid have the, oh, father and mother, thank you so much for providing me with a house with indoor plumbing and a refrigerator. You are the greatest. No, they were like, take this trash out. That's how your kids learn how to cuss, by taking out the trash. They didn't do it with a submissive heart. That's what Peter's going on. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll let down the nest again, Jesus. We'll see how this goes. Did you know that you don't have, a you don't have to have a good attitude for God to bless you? I have gone into things kicking and screaming, and God still blesses. Watch this. 
At this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. Can you imagine Jesus? Because this is me. I just imagined him sitting on the front of the boat, and he's got a smirk on his face. He's just smirking. He's just like, a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Now, when I first read this story, I think with an entrepreneurial mindset, and I'm thinking, if I'm Peter, I'm like, hey, Jesus, that was awesome. What are you doing tomorrow? We're going to open up Fishes or Us, all right? Like, we're going to wait. Like I'm going to get something with Amazon.com where they can just drop the fish in. I mean, this is going to be great. But, but Jesus does something significant, and he doesn't do something just significant with a fish. He does something significant in the life of Peter because Peter, when Jesus said, put your nets out again, he called him master, right? Well, watch what happens. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, master is a sign of respect. Lord is a sign of submission. And Jesus is constantly trying to get us to move from respect to submission because at the end of the day, his plans for our lives are greater than our plans for our lives. That's why he's trying to get us there. Not because he needs something from us, because he wants something for us. So he said, he said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Now, th this is crazy. I'll pause for a minute. Take a look at the person sitting next to you right now. Just take a look at him. Just take a look at him. That is a sinful person. <laughs> I've had people every service look away. No, baby, no. No. You are an angel. <laughs> a fallen angel. Anyway, I, I love the fact that Peter, Peter says, he, he didn't say, I've done some sinful things. He didn't start confessing. I did this last week. I did this last week. He didn't say, I do some sinful things. He said, I am a sinful person. He's wrestling with guilt and he's wrestling with shame because he had grown up in a religious culture. How many people know that religion will make you feel guilt? How many people know that religion will make you feel shame? How many people know that religion will make you want to run and hide when there's something wrong? When Adam and Eve ate the, ate the fruit in the garden and God came walking through, they ran and hide because they were filled with guilt and they were filled with shame. But Jesus isn't trying to let us stay in guilt and shame. He wants to pull us out of guilt and shame and into a life that is immeasurably more so watch what happens because Peter's like, I am sinful. Now, I know there's some people here that you don't think you're that sinful because you know some people that have messed up worse than you. That's what's so great about social media. You can always find up somebody more jacked up than you, right? But what if you had done everything you thought about doing this week? And you wouldn't be here. You'd be in jail. <laughs> Attendance will be way down, right? So, and, and, and here's what's even, I think Jesus' smirk got a little bit bigger because he's thinking, when, when Peter said, 
I'm such a sinful person, he hadn't even committed his worst sin yet. He had no idea. It, his worst sin was ahead of him. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That, that, that's, that's what's amazing about the grace of God. For he was all struck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. Jesus replied to Simon, watch this. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid, because he was freaked out. He said, don't be afraid. He didn't say, Peter, you're not a sinful person. You're special. You're a unicorn. You're a leprechaun. Give me a hug. Bring it in tight. No, no, no. Jesus, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're a sinful person, but don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. I can almost imagine Peter looking at his brother going, what does that mean? I don't know. We're going to throw a net over people bring them in. I don't know. It's work for fish. I mean, he's the guy. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Don't miss this. The miracle in this story isn't the catch. It's the calling. The miracle is not the catch. It's the calling. Jesus met Peter exactly where he was and then brought him where he needed to be. So if you feel like you're distant, abandoned, and forgotten by God, here's the good news. He knows exactly where you are, and he will meet you there. Some of you are thinking, I don't think that's true. Then explain to me why you're listening to this message. Is it a coincidence that God brought you here or brought you online to hear that you are not forgotten by him? Oh, and by the way, Peter followed Jesus for three years. Did he see some cool stuff, yes or no? Yeah. He, got, he was there when Jesus turned the water into wine. Remember that? That was the cast got to be. That had to be an awesome miracle. And the Baptist boycotted, and the Presbyterians were happy, and the Episcopals got hammered. Let's just be honest. I mean, it was just great. He was there when Jesus calmed the storm. When Jesus, the storm's raging, Jesus stands up and just says, knock it off, and the storm calms down. He was there for that. He, he walked on water. Peter walked on water. How cool is that? I can't even water ski. And Peter's walking on water, and then he began to sink. A lot of people give him crap for starting to sink, but let's be honest, there were 11 other disciples that didn't have the guts to get out of the boat. So, so he's walking on the water, sinks, all this cool stuff. And then, and then they had this thing called the Last Supper. Now, they didn't call it the Last Supper. How freaky would that be if you went over to one of your friend's house and they said, welcome to the Last Supper. You know what? I got to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bounce. <laughs> yeah, I ate already. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good. So they're sitting around the table, and we know about this because um, evidently Leonardo da Vinci was there and painted the whole thing, and so it, we've got it on canvas. And we know about it because of some of the table conversations where, where John was like, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. We know about those things, right? But there was a conversation that happened at the table that, that we don't talk about a lot because it's awkward. So can you imagine you're sitting at the table with Jesus and, and, and like, like you're just sitting there and there's Thomas and there's Andrew and James and John and Bartholomew. We don't know where he is. He's somewhere at the table. It's just, he's just, and, then, and then this happens. Talk about awkward. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan demanded to have you 
that he might sift you like wheat. Did it just get awkward at the table? Oh, yeah. I remember being at a table one time, went to have dinner with a family. It was, it was so cool. Lots of food on the table, and the dad goes, let's pray. And the youngest kid goes, Dad, why are we praying? We never pray. <laughs> Kids will tell the truth, won't they? I was just like, okay, God is great. God is good. Anyway, can you imagine being Peter? And like the table gets silent, and um, Jesus goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking to the devil the other day, Peter. He demanded to have you because he wants to sift you like wheat. Now, if you're Peter, what's your reaction? Okay, Jesus, um, just I know you're like the whole son of God thing. You're doing a great job with that. It's incredible. Just got a couple problems with this. Number one, why are you talking to the devil? You should not be talking to him. Number two, um, what'd you tell him? Like you told him no, right? Because I don't know about you, but like different people do different things to relax. Like some people get a mani-pedi. Some people get a massage. Some people fish. Some people hunt. I'm not going to have a conversation with anybody today going, hey, what are you going to do this afternoon to relax? I'm going to go get sifted like wheat. I, I don't really know what that means, but it sounds like it sucks, right? It sounds like it, it's got some pain involved. And so, so, so Jesus says, Satan has demanded to have you. That is some scary stuff. He might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Oh, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, no. I don't need your prayers. I need your punch in the throat to the Satan. I, I need you to I don't knock the devil out. Just knock him in the head. That's what I need. That's not what he did. He said, I prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. And I know some people are, because you're thinking, because Peter goes on to deny Christ three times, was faith failed? Uh-uh. Just because you fail doesn't mean you have failed. Let me say it again. Just because you fail doesn't mean you have failed. In fact, the only people that really know how to reach broken people are people that have been broken and know they are broken themselves. You ain't never been to, through a tough time. Don't tell me how to handle my tough time. Don't hit me with your Bible bomb. I'll save that. <clears throat> I have this thought, but I'm going to hold that for a little while. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus said, listen, I know you're about to, like, turn your back on me, but you'll get through it. And when you get through it, I want you to step back into what you're doing. Now watch what, because P- Peter does the same thing that we do. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Now let's not, let's not be too tough on Peter, because haven't we all made promises to God that we didn't follow through on? Like we got caught up in a moment, like a worship moment, like we're at church and we're like, I love you, Jesus. I will never do that again. And five minutes later, somebody's like, you want to go do that? Yeah, I'll pay for it. Let's go. I'm, that, that's how caught up we get into it. So he's caught up in a moment and he promises Jesus, I'll never turn my back on you. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die with you. And Jesus calls him on it. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, 
the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Jesus said, I know what you're going to do. And sure enough, it happened. Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's put on trial. He's crucified. And Peter denied Jesus three times, once to a teenage girl. Now, how do you think he felt? Do you think he felt guilt? Yeah. Think he felt shame? Do you think he maybe thought that God was disappointed in him? Yeah. Let me pause real quick and say this. And I'm going to say this. I know I say this a lot. I'm going to say it again. There are people in this room that you actually believe that God is disappointed in you. You've been told that. And I oh, mm, mm, this is a second chance and I can even say some of the stuff running through my mind right now. The person that told you that God is disappointed in you is a freaking liar. Yes. And here's, this is why. God knew everything about you before he ever created you. And he created you anyway and went ahead and arranged for the payment for our sin to be made. How can we disappoint a God who knows everything? If we could disappoint God, God wouldn't be God because he wouldn't know everything. God knew everything about us, created us, loved us, paid for our sin, and still calls us and pursues us even when we turn our back on him. God has never been disappointed in you. Don't ever, ever believe that lie. But Peter believed it because, because when we... When, when we start walking with Christ and we take a step in our walk with Christ, we take another step in our walk with Christ, and we take another step in our walk with Christ, and then something happens and we go backwards in our walk with Christ, we usually wind up at the same place we were, right? Well, that's what happened to the apostles after they denied Christ. When, when Jesus met Peter, he was on the sea of what? Galilee. So in John's gospel... In John chapter 21, the last chapter in the gospel of John, this is how John starts his, his, that chapter out. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. So don't miss this. The disciples ran back to where they met Jesus, and Jesus came back to them. Jesus didn't stay in Jerusalem and go, nope. I'm going to stay here They're going, until y'all come to me. We're not going to be able to move forward. See, we have a God that loves us unconditionally. And he's not out to punish us. He's out to pursue us. Like I said, not to get us back, but to bring us back to a relationship with him. So if you wind up going back to Galilee, Jesus will come back there for you. That's what he's doing in the hearts and lives of some people here today. You feel like you've gone too far, and you're here listening to a message saying you have not gone too far. He met him on the Sea of Galilee first time. Stuck, abandoned, alone, feeling confused. What were, when, when he met Peter, what had Peter been doing all night? Fishing, okay, so... That was in Luke 5. He was fishing. In John 21, verse 3, Simon Peter said, I'm going to fish. We'll come too. 
Because see, when we go back to where we were, we just do the things we used to do. It's easy. And there's some people here today, maybe you said you would never do that again, and then you're doing it again, and, and maybe it's even worse than it used to be. It happens. It happens. And, and it refresh my memory, the, the night in Luke 5 that Peter went fishing, how, much, how many fish did he catch without Jesus? How many did he catch? None. Okay, huh. Okay, it's interesting because John said, so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Anybody see some similarities setting up here? I love this. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. Now, in the movies, we would make this cinematic, like here comes the sun, and there's Jesus, and he's got his big judgment finger standing out like this. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Now, I want to kind of set this straight. So I've heard this taught before, and I, I don't, I, it's, it's not true, so I want you to understand. I've heard people say, on the Sea of Galilee, somebody can stand on the shore and look out and see the water, and they could actually see 100 to 150 yards out. And if there was fish on one side of the boat, not on the other, they could see it and tell the people that were in the boat. That, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life because it's not true. It's not true. How ridiculous. First of all, I've been on the Sea of Galilee. You can't see fish in the Sea of Galilee. Number, number two, how ridiculous is it that somebody on the shore 150 yards away could see fish and somebody in the boat wouldn't be like, oh, dang, they were there the whole time. I didn't even know. <laughs> so there's something going on here. It, it's almost like throw your net. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think they didn't throw their net on the right side all night? No, they probably threw it on the left side, right side, front side, back side, threw it up into the air to see if they catch a bird. They're trying to catch anything. They ain't catching anything. So they're like, I mean, I'm probably, they're probably looking at each other, rolling their eyes, going, this idiot on the shore wants to throw it on the right side. So they threw it on the right side. And so they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because so many fish in it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. The first time they met Jesus, he told them, what to do with the net, they caught a bunch of fish. But here they go back to what they used to do. And as they're doing it, Jesus steps in and blesses them anyway. Oh, my gosh, that's why they call it amazing grace. Because it is amazing. I love this. The first time, Peter said, go away from me, Lord. But this time, the Bible says, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic where he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. And in Luke 5, he said, go away from me. In John 21, he's like, if you love me this much, if you'll have me back, here I come. At the end of the day, Peter understood something that I hope and pray that I can understand and we can understand as a body of believers, and is this, is when we pray to God, we could literally say to him, your love is too good to leave me here. Even if you've taken a step back, even if you've taken two steps back, his love is too good to leave us here. And he will pursue us because he wants greater things for us. I, I read a story um, 
and it fascinated me. I thought it was appropriate to end this message with. Uh, there was a, in Armenia, in, in the late 1980s, there was a man and his son. His son was named Armand. And Armand and his dad had this really cool relationship. And the dad would walk the son to school every day and, and tell him. And one of the parts of the conversation was, son, I love you. And I want you to know that I'll never give up on you no matter what. I'll never give up on you no matter what. And that was just something that the dad and Armand said to each other a lot. Yeah, I love you. I'll never give up on you no matter what. Well, December 7th, 1988, an earthquake hit Armenia, and one of the hardest hit areas in the town was the school. In fact, it crumbled. I mean, it, it was just, it was in shambles. And nobody thought that anybody could have survived that. Armand's dad had just dropped him off at school and survived the earthquake. And so he comes back to the school, and it's just a pile of rubble. Parents are showing up, and they've given up. They're crying. They're weeping. There's no way anybody survived this. But Armand's dad started digging through the rubble. And, and, and other people were saying, why are you doing this? You're crazy. And he's like, if there's a chance my son is alive, I got to know. I've got to dig. I got to find out. So he's, he's digging through the rubble. His hands are bloody. For 12, 24, 36 hours, he's digging. He's digging. He's digging. On the 38th hour, he heard a voice. And it was his son, Armand. And Armand said, Dad, is that you? And the dad said, yes. And Armand said, I knew you would come for me, Dad. I knew you would come for me because you told me you would never give up on me. And that's the same thing we can say about God today. Is we have a God that will dig through the rubble and dig through the garbage and dig through the trash. Because he will not give up on you. He has not given up on you. He has greater plans for you. His love is too good to leave us where we are. We can celebrate a God like that. So I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus, but I know that his love is too good to leave us here. He wants to take us there, and there is immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. So with that in mind, could we stand for closing prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I want to ask you that you would help those of us that know we're not where we need to be. God, understand that your love is too good to leave us here, and you love us, God, as you find us.